and some vegetables. What? Vegetables? I know. I got lettuce and carrots. Oh my God. It's like a burrito bowl. Look at you being all grown up. I know. I thought you'd be proud of me. People are going to know me and then be like, you have another podcast room there somewhere? I talk. I'm a person. Okay. I would be more convinced of that if you were more convinced of that. <laughs> Love you. I am, I am just your imaginary friend. No, no, no. That's my job. <laughs> I'm the imaginary friend in your life. We already discussed this multiple times. Okay. Except for like, I know you're real because other people know you're real because you sent me flowers all the way from effing Michigan on the closing night of Into the Woods. Yeah, but I sent them from Michigan, which means there's still no proof that I'm existing. <laughs> it's not like somebody actually showed up and handed them to you. They just appeared. Like, <laughs> pretty sure that's the definition of imaginary. It was, it was kind of great, though, because like our producer, who was like, sitting backstage, like... I'm like, oh, those are pretty flowers. And I go about my business. She's like, oh, those are for you. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Someone cared about me enough to get me flowers? Yeah. Weird. I like, I wanted to tell you so bad. I've been planning it for like a week. And I'm just like, don't say anything. Don't say anything. Even, and the worst part was like, you were having such a hard week. And I was like, I really just want to tell you, but I don't want to spoil the surprise. <laughs> No, like it was good that you didn't spoil it. It was a beautiful surprise. That is the like I think that's one of the hardest things I've kept from you. <laughs> Bitch, I bought you flowers. Be happy. <laughs> All right. Anyway, welcome back to the Shiny Scroll Podcast. I'm Bree. I'm Melanie. And this is officially episode one. Uh, hopefully you've listened to our two teaser episodes. If you haven't, I am a novelist. Uh, currently unpublished, but I am a published journalist. I was a photojournalist for the U.S. Army for seven years. <laughs> and now I'm in marketing. Melanie, tell us about yourself. I'm Melanie, and I am the demon slash devil's advocate of this podcast. Um, I am also a novelist, also unpublished. I do have published short stories, I guess, if that counts. I am mainly a cosplayer, so I spend copious amounts of time sitting by myself creating things in a dark room, which is actually most of my hobbies. God, I'm antisocial for being an extrovert. What, yeah. what else do I say about myself? I pretended to become a mad scientist and then failed. Well, they didn't a mad scientist. They didn't let me into Mad Science Academy. I wasn't I wasn't evil enough for them, apparently. <laughs> I guess my dreams of becoming Dr. Evil have been completely destroyed. I mean. You might be able to pull off the bald head, but... I don't know. Without the eyebrows, that might be difficult. You kind of mm. need eyebrows for that one. Speaking of amazing hobbies. Speaking of amazing hobbies, I was thinking there's this quote from the Vlogbrothers, John and Hank Green. Yes, that John Green of Faults in Your Stars. Where they discuss being a nerd is essentially just being passionate about things. And that has really stuck with me over the years because being a nerd or being a geek, it has such a negative connotation that's left over from, you know, the 70s, 80s, 90s. 
and now it's kind of kind of mainstream to be a nerd or a geek but i couldn't imagine my life without being passionate about things when i think about who I am and what has shaped me, I think about the first time I really got invested into a television show or a story. My first television show, I can remember very, very vividly as a Xena Warrior Princess. Mind you, probably not the best television for a five-year-old, but that show has definitely kind of shaped like how I think about the world and how I think about myself. Because here I was, five, six, seven, watching this incredibly powerful woman not only kick ass but also be super compassionate because I mean you had Zena and then you had Gabrielle and their friendship like their connection and like how they were kind of two sides of the same coin was just this really great example of what it meant to be a woman at that very very young age what about you when was what was your first step into geekdom or nerddom or I can't say exactly what age I was <clears throat> or that there was like one specific thing because I spent most of my childhood just growing up on sci-fi. My dad really got me into it because we would just sit down on the couch and have like our bowl of ice cream and we would just watch, you know, Star Trek Enterprise or Stargate SG-1 and Stargate Atlantis and Eureka. Like I grew up on these TV shows where anything was possible. And it wasn't because of magic. It was simply because people dared to think other than how everybody else thought. And the best part was in Eureka, the sheriff didn't have the IQ that everybody else in Eureka had. He had a, an average IQ where everybody in a town full of geniuses. And it showed that you didn't have to necessarily be the smartest to save the day or to be important. Everybody had their own unique characteristics and that was going to help in some way and help shape the world. Yeah. And I think that's what's really great about getting involved in these fandoms is you have this incredible collection of people that love this piece of art the way that you do, right? Because I mean, when I think about Eureka, I definitely think about how celebratory it was of the individual. Like they never shied away from pushing people forward to chase their passions and to chase their talents. Well, and that's really science mentality at its heart is this idea of striving for betterment and for new knowledge because even if something does go catastrophically wrong we often say that you still learn something when you fail and you honestly learn more or something new you didn't expect when some when an experiment fails and that can actually further your research potentially in a different direction that is more I don't want to say lucrative, but just a, I'm only thinking of, of money words, profitable. Like That's okay. it basically just helps you push, continue to push outside of your understanding and your ideas. Like science right. is, is constantly trying to learn more and understand better. And that was all what Eureka was about was these new ideas that were going to change the world. And it wasn't about the applications. It was purely for the scientific knowledge. They just loved learning and seeing how things right. worked. I mean, going back to, you know, my first fandom with Xena, it, it was very much this, you know, story of self-betterment. Because while Xena was 
had this really, really dark past, like before you start the show, she spends the entire show trying to grow and learn and leave a more positive mark, despite her very violent tendencies. So when it came to Gabrielle, her best friend, which some people describe her as the sidekick, but Gabrielle was kind of always there to put up a mirror to Xena, to remind Xena of how far she'd come and where she was trying to go. And I feel that that is so important in our life in general, because if you're not willing to think critically about yourself and about the things that you're doing, how are you supposed to make any progress? How are you supposed to grow? You know, stereotypically, like being a nerd or a geek has all of these like silly negative connotations, which really are just silly. I think that getting passionate about these stories and these pieces of art really help motivate us into making the world a better place. I don't know. Like I, I think about, you know, my own creative endeavors. So much of my work is based in mythology and Xena played completely in the world of Greek mythology. So she's had a huge impact on my life. I feel like the TV shows have had larger impacts on you than they have on me. Because like you have a very deep connection with Xena. And I see more, I, like the TV shows I watched were more a fascination and like opening my eyes to the possibilities of things I could do with my life. Not necessarily of like who I would become. I don't know. I've, I've definitely always like strayed towards sci-fi though. I wonder if that has a huge, it has an impact. It's like the stuff that we grew up on, like how much of an impact that has on how we're shaped. Because I would say that you probably grew up more on like mythology and fantasy, whereas I grew up on a lot of sci-fi. I almost wonder if that's why you're more optimistic than I am. Because I would say to some extent that fantasy has a more optimistic tonality. But it can also be way more vicious than sci-fi too, though. Like it has a very wide spectrum. I don't know. It depends on, your, on what you're what you're talking about specifically. I don't know. Like, because in, in all fairness, I haven't really read a whole lot of sci-fi. I get out into the odd TV show. Like I loved Eureka. Eureka was very accessible, though. Compared to some sci-fi that's out there, it's very accessible just because of the fact that it's based in a real world. And it has... It shows well, the contrast between science and the non-science people. Well, and it kind of had a very fantastical storytelling method. Like when I think about, you know, Star Trek, when it came to their storylines, it was it was very much of exploration outward and less introspection. Mm -hmm. And what fantasy does is it kind of forces you to reflect on how you respond to things and how your circumstances can affect you and how you can rise above. Well, that's because fantasy is a closed world. What do you mean by closed world? So you're specifically talking about space operas when you talk about Star Trek in the sense that we don't know what's out there. And because we don't, there's the opportunity to constantly create something new and to see how we interact with that new option. Whereas in fantasy, generally speaking, you know all the the countries and the cultures around you. There isn't necessarily a lot of opportunities for new stimuli, 
if that makes sense. For the character or for the um, fan? Both. I don't know that I agree with that because, I mean, there's an entire subgenre of fantasy that is devoted to, oh my goodness, there's this world that I never knew existed. I loved that genre for a long time. I mean, I I grew up on Chronicles of Narnia. I respect that. There's something very powerful for me about the reflective storytelling, like characters that kind of grow and develop and evolve based on the circumstances that they're leaving and the circumstances that they're stepping into and the circumstances that they have yet to encounter, which is really why I love Doctor Who. Ugh. Because, I mean, you're you're not just watching the Doctor's evolution, you're also watching the evolution of the worlds that he encounters and his companions. And, I mean, technically, Doctor Who falls into sci-fi, but it kind of bridges the gap between sci-fi and fantasy as well. Much like Star Wars does, but in a way different way. And I'm probably going to get crucified by the fandom now. <laughs> by both of them. I just said you're both like, fandom. You just said... <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean... Because Star Wars also kind of bridges the gap between fantasy and sci-fi. No, if you really, like, okay, from an outside standpoint, yeah, it looks like it. Like, when you actually step into the world of Star Wars, there's actual science to back up everything. Right, but there's also a mythological standpoint to it, too. Like, from the Jedi and everything, all of their teachings and what they believe and how everyone interprets the Jedi... Yes, there is the science aspect to it, and I will not disagree with you, but there's also this deep-rooted mythology to the world of Star Wars as well. I wouldn't say mythology and fantasy are the same thing, though. I think that just comes from the fact that we don't actually see religion a lot in sci-fi. Right. I wouldn't necessarily call that a fantasy aspect. Mm, I don't know. Mythology is weird, because like it encompasses a lot of weird and interesting stories and anecdotes over the centuries because yes like some people like to refer to certain ancient religions as mythology and it's fantasy is so much more mythology driven like we talk about you know magic and whatnot but how we view magic is rooted in the mythology of these ancient societies and civilizations i still think you'd really like stargate sg1 i will Add it to my list when I find time. Yeah. Because a lot of what you're talking about is stuff that you see in Stargate SG-1 um, mm-hmm. regarding the idea of science versus magic. Right. Um, and people's beliefs in those things. So, I, And mm-hmm. it regards the Egyptian uh, religion, I suppose is the best term for that. Um, as like it's You're big. talking about like Osiris and... Yeah. There's a lot of names. I didn't remember all of them. <laughs> But, like, it it really gets into that structure and how it became alive. Like, the Egyptian culture, how it became alive on Earth and on other planets. I think you'd really enjoy it. I think we got a little sidetracked. I mean, this has been an entire conversation about art and how it affects us. And But, but that's, I mean- that's actually, um, speaking of that... We are consuming the same things, but we are interpreting them very differently. Like, just because Mm -hmm. everybody loves, quote unquote, Star Wars, for example, doesn't mean everybody sees Star Wars in the same light. So, and I think that's actually the best part about fandoms and geekdom is you can love the same thing for different reasons and get different things out of it. And that actually adds another facet to how fans interact with each other. So I feel like that has allowed people to be more open-minded in a sense, 
because right. you can have two people come together who ha- did interpret something differently and discuss it. And yeah, occasionally they'll get heated, but it's not like in other topics where people come to blows over it. It's a very broad, let's discuss this kind of conversation. And I think that's what's great about being geeks is there is a very open-mindedness about being a geek and being a nerd because we spend our lives in fantasy worlds that don't actually exist. So you get to broaden your mind and talk to other people about it. It's a it's a way to communicate with people. 100%. Because I mean, you and I have had so many conversations about different television shows or movies where, how what would be a good example? Good Omens in regards mm. to Crowley and Aziraphale's relationship because most of the internet, if you go search things, have turned their relationship into a gay love plot. Because of the depth of their relationship relationship, the lengths that they will go to to be with one another and how important they are in each other's lives. And in modern day, the real world, we generally only see those types of relationships between life partners. So most of the viewers interpreted it as a romantic relationship. But as Brie pointed out... What I pointed out was the fact that there are some friendships that don't need romance to get to that kind of depth of connection. Melanie and I have been friends for about four years now, and I would totally see her saving my ass from getting beheaded in 18th century France because I wanted to go to Paris to get crepes. You would go to Paris to get crepes. I would get go to Paris to get crepes. <laughs> and I would totally sacrifice some random person to save you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you beheaded like 500 other people, so. And created the selfie. <laughs> and created the selfie. And designed the uh, London Orbital Speedway. Yeah, no, I would totally do that. Yeah, I know you would. When I think about Good Omens, I, I mean, one, I'm a huge Neil Gaiman fan. American Gods is the epitome of storytelling with a modern twist on mythology for me. I love that headspace. I live in that headspace. It is perfection. Anyway, back to Good Omens. The friendship between Aziraphale and Crowley really makes me feel less alone. I mean, I... So where I'm at on the sexuality spectrum is kind of in this weird gray area of bi and ace. And so for those of you that get in the weeds, like I am biromantic asexual. Okay, question. Sure. Why are you still using ace when you have told me that you align sapiosexual? Why not just use that term? One... Sapio is not quite accepted in the vernacular yet. So, um, I mean, you meet people where they where they are, not where you want them to be, right? No, <laughs> no, because that's not how we make progress. That is how we continue to live in the default that we have fallen into. When I get to a point where like I trust someone, then I will discuss being sapio. Hmm. But right off the bat, what the assumption is when you say that, oh, I'm sapiosexual, is that like, oh, you have a stick up your ass and you only date smart people. That is so not how I interpret that, nor has it been how you explained it. Right. But that is the assumption. Well, you know, people are going to assume whatever the fuck they want about you. Right. I mean, people assume that bisexuals are... uh, Incapable of monogamy? Yeah, incapable of monogamy. Like, you need both. Like, uh, no, this is a either-or situation. I don't need both. Anywho, being where I'm at in the spectrum, when I watch things like Good Omens... 
my brain doesn't go to the romantic. Okay, so that's not 100% true because I completely and utterly ship Dean and Castiel in Supernatural. <laughs> I will die on this ship. Um, I'm Crowley in, in Supernatural too. <laughs> it has more to do, though, with um, the bi-representation in a mainstream television show than it actually does with the sh- eh, Nope, nope, because I still ship those two. As much as I would like to be like, oh, I just want the representation. The representation is nice, but I totally ship those two characters. I think a lot of the influence there, though, comes from the fandom. I mean, it was legitimately in the script that Dean said, I love you to Kaz, but Jensen took it out because it saying I love you just isn't really in his vernacular, which I agree with. Mm-hmm. But I think the sentiment is still there. I think that the writers of Supernatural really listen to the fandom, though. Uh yeah, but I mean, I'm not saying like it was like that, that was the only influence on it. I definitely like I haven't seen the show, so I presume that it was built up. But do you think it would have been as forefront had the fandom not clearly shipped it all over the internet? Well, so Castiel wasn't going to be a mainstream character on the show. Okay. You know, he just kind of wormed his way in. Which is fine. Like, characters do that all the time. Lord knows you and I have had our side characters that are like, hey, hi, remember me? I'm now the linchpin in your plot. (laughs) Yeah, no, I legit did have a character just be like, by the way, I'm the romantic interest. And I'm like, what the hell? I did not plan for you. You were supposed to be the bad guy. I'm so confused. (laughs) Wow, I have really just stepped out of the good omens box. Yep, because you started talking about your sexuality and then disappeared. (laughs) Because I think it's important to discuss how integral, integral. I was gonna say, I was like, what did you just say? I watched too much uh, Ultimate. Ultimate. Uh So we're recording this at the tail end of June, which is Pride Month. And so it's kind of like at the top of my head. But anyway, when I, you know, watch things like Good Omens, I just don't really go there. Like I don't go to that romantic headspace because their friendship is what's important. Mm -hmm. And you just don't need the romance to find that depth. No, I agree. I don't think you need it, but I think it's it a lot of people interpreted it that way because we don't get such strong friendships in media. Like name another friendship in a TV show or movie or something that is that exemplifies that depth. I am going to die on this hill. But Black Widow and Hawkeye. Yes. I don't think we see as much of it as we should. And people um, do still romanticize that. Also, uh the Tenth Doctor and Donna. Can't comment on that one. I know. The fact of the matter is, when a relationship gets strong enough, writers push it to be romantic. And like, I'm guilty of that too. I mean, I did that in one of my books where like, I was strictly like, these characters are friends. And then I got like three quarters of the way through and all of a sudden my main character was like, I love you. And I was like, what do you mean? What do you mean you love them? You're not supposed, oh God damn it. I think yeah, if people I- see it as a natural progression, whether it is or not. Well, there's also the fact that sexual attraction is something very distinct. Mm. Like, yes, like sexual attraction can grow out of emotional connection, but not always. Because, I mean, you can still see someone's flaws and still love them regardless. And I mean that on both a romantic way and a platonic way. Right. Because when you look at Good Omens and you look at Aziraphale and Crowley, one... Aziraphale is very, very ace. Oh, yeah, for sure. No, I support that. Incredibly ace. Like, so the concept of him being, like, sexually attracted to anyone just is a little bit laughable, um, to me anyway, simply because... I see it. I could. Okay, so this is how I could interpret the relationship. I could see Crowley 
feeling something for Aziraphale, but Aziraphale not reciprocating. But I think that's solely from the fact that, like, this is going to sound awful, Crowley doesn't have anybody else. Right. We also see that Crowley kind of needs to be seen. Like, that is his driving characteristic. Because when it came to him describing him falling from grace, it was like, I was just, you know, I sauntered down disgracefully. (laughs) Vaguely downward. Yeah. Oh, like, hey, there's Lucy and the guys. And the next thing I know, we're getting booted from heaven. Um, I think if a relationship did actually happen between Aziraphale and Crowley, they wouldn't have the same relationship that they have in the show because of the fact that Crowley needs to be seen. But I think once he is, he would look for something else. Right. Like he's he's very incapable of being satisfied. Yeah. And that's okay. And I think that's why their friendship works because Aziraphale is very obtuse. (laughs) Like he just doesn't, he doesn't try to see things. He doesn't look for them. When it came to Crowley's frustration with like, you know, how can someone so brilliant be so stupid? That's how. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But you know, when you you think about the romantic connection, I if they did have any kind of romantic leanings towards each other, I don't think they would have been able to make the choice to make the switch at the end like they did. Why do you say that? I'm curious. I don't know. Maybe this is like my own jadedness towards romance. (laughs) Um, But I feel like there's a certain level of ownership with romance that there isn't with friendship. So they were able to respect each other and trust each other enough to be able to let each other go into harm's way. To protect oh, the other. I see. I see. I in that sense, I think a lot of it's selfishness. They both have selfishness to survive. Crowley just because of the need to survive, and Aziraphale because of the love to survive. Like Aziraphale helps to save the world because of all the things that he loves about the world, and he wants right. to continue loving those things, which is why he goes against the angels in a sense. And why he would want to continue to survive to the point that he would wander into hell, basically, as a demon. Like, I I think that's really where it comes down to. A lot of people miss the small intricacies of the characters and their relationships. They just see the spending all the time together and saving the world together and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> this turned into a good omen. Yeah, this conversation totally wandered off. I feel like so much of being a nerd or being a geek is trying to find things that are representative of you, right? Like to find yourself in other things, to know that you are seen. I mean, I know that I watch Good Omens Crack because I miss my best friend. I like how in assessing the show, we have basically assessed ourselves. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. But I mean, isn't that fandom in general? Yeah, I would say I do that with a lot of TV shows. We're we're invested in a lot of different fandoms of a lot of different avenues yeah. of creativity. Because I mean, we've discussed a lot about television, but you know, you and I are also very passionate fans about books and anime and you know, music and theater. So would you say that most people, if they are one creative, they're multiple creatives? Or do you think they each have like a type? I think that you have a wide range. Some people that like specialize in one aspect of creativity and 
you know, sometimes they'll venture out, mm-hmm. but not always. Specializing sounds so easy. <laughs> I know. But I mean, I think about authors like V.E. Schwab, who kind of talks about creativity as a well. She has to constantly feed that well with other forms of creativity, whether that's reading a book or watching a t- television show or that's that's not Listening that's not music. a well. It's a black hole. <laughs> a well is something you take things out of. A black hole is things you put into it. Right, but she pulls from it too. Is what I'm saying. I believe that's a battery. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> She's a very strange well. Is it a magical well? We're talking about the I Ten Kingdoms I, well. Honestly, I probably like messed up words because I mess up words all the time. It's okay. Um, so I'm probably misquoting her, but the concept is still the same. And then I've I've currently been obsessed with this show on Netflix called The Chef Show, and it's like a docu series. John Favreau was having a conversation with another director, I believe, the director of Sin City. And the director was talking about how he has gathered all of these different skills and all of these different creativity modes to help kind of flesh out his other projects. So like him being a really fantastic cook has influenced how he looks at food and how he films food for his filming projects. Mm -hmm. And the same thing goes for his music because he's also in a band and he has all of these different niches that he is a part of that have helped flesh out and and I've said flesh out like five times in the last two minutes and I'm so sorry talk about flesh (laughs) I'll get to why that is in a second but uh no okay small tangent (laughs) two seconds I was watching this um historical makeup documentary Mm -hmm. on basically the makeup of Elizabethan England and how it was very much made of lead and mercury and how that contributed to her death yeah (laughs) so these women would put on this makeup and it would like eat at their skin so they would like have like these skin deterioration and open sores and they would cover it up with more lead makeup and it would just just this vicious cycle why do i feel like that's basically Um, modern day acne at least this won't kill you that we know of that we know of i mean some of (laughs) the chemicals do contribute to breast cancer welcome to why science is necessary so anyway, so that's probably why I'm saying flesh a lot because they were talking about like the makeup eating flesh. And, I see. Uh, anywho, so he collected all of these skills and all of these different hobbies that helped make his primary project, his primary create, creation mode being directing and filmmaking, more well-rounded. I feel like that's a lot of what I've been doing lately with cosplay though because, I mean, I got into cosplay in November And since then, I have learned a lot of things I didn't think I'd learn and become interested in things I didn't think I'd become interested in. Like I started out with like, oh, I make props out of foam and I sew things. And now I'm like, I want to start learning how to style wigs. And I would love to launch a wig collection at some point in the future. And I want to make tutorials. So I need to know how to do film editing and take good photos and use my writing skill that I have let become dusty and like photo editing which is a nightmare and I still hate it and I probably always will there are a dozen other skills that I never anticipated using but I mean that also depends on how far you're wanting to take something well I mean I I feel the exact same way about theater I have learned 
so many skills from my research into historic clothing uh, to costume shows like Little Women to figuring out how to build a tutu for Sugar Plum Fairy for Shrek all the way to the other end of the spectrum with how to make a latex bald cap for Adam's family. And tomorrow I'm going to be doing live casts of two actors' faces for the first time to build prosthetics for Sioux City's version of Into the Woods. Or not their version, but their rendition. Anyway, I definitely have collected skills over the years that have helped bring one artistic craft to a completely different level. And I'm very, very proud of it. Well, I think that's what's great about art and being a creative is there's always something to add. Like there is Mm -hmm. no like, I've made it, I'm done. It's a constant strive to learn more, to do better, to incorporate a new technique. I think that's what's great about art is like it's so accessible and there's so many options and you can be a hobbyist or you can be a professional or you can just like dabble in it. Like you can do whatever you want and it's all accepted. Right. I love art. I never in my life thought I would say that. I don't know who I would be without it. Miserable. (laughs) Very empty. I tried it. I mean, I tried it. It didn't work. There are so many reasons to give up on writing. And I just, oh God, so my many. characters won't let me, they won't let me let them go. And I, you know, you just got to kind of pray that it's leading somewhere, I suppose. But um, I am so grateful for five-year-old me finding Xena Warrior Princess. On that note, though, I will say being a creative can be one of the most rewarding things you will ever do. It will likely also be one of the hardest things you ever do. It's incredibly heartbreaking. It is so difficult when you have your heart set on something and that is your one passion in life and you would do anything to get there. And the worst part is it's not always up to you. There is mm-hmm. other people involved. And that is, that's the hardest part about art is you could be amazing, but if nobody sees it or people don't like your style, it will be very, very difficult to make your passion a reality and a way to support yourself. That's, that's something you can do full time so that you don't have to spend your time doing something you don't enjoy. It will be so difficult, but if you have the dedication to it and you, your little artsy voice won't shut up, like it will <laughs> be worth it, I think. I, I, and yeah. I can't actually say if I know. <laughs> I hope it's worth it. (laughs) Yeah, we're kind of at the beginning of our perspective journeys. I mean, it doesn't feel like we're at the beginning Mm -hmm. because I've been working on this book for the better part of a decade. I feel like this is the first time, though, that you and I have really, like, made it a priority. Oh. Because, like, yeah, you made it a priority for your book, but, like, you realized that you needed to take a different path to get there. Just like I needed to go to cosplay instead of being a writer. Like, we were still growing and finding our path. Well, because, um, I mean, I've invested a lot of time and energy and money into developing my craft. Like, my writing craft. Like I've gone to workshops and I've done critiques and I've been a part of critique groups and I have learned so much over the years that have made that has made me a better writer and a, and a more effective storyteller. Not verbally, I'm totally better in revision. However, <laughs> with the world that we live in, if you don't have multiple irons in the fire, then the one iron you're hoping to succeed probably won't. And that's just the unfortunate reality of the world that we live in. You have a fireplace? (laughs) No, no. For uh, the 
proverbial proverbial metaphorical proverbial yes like proverbs proverbial right <laughs> is it an, you keep throwing out these analogies i've never heard of an iron in the fire oh okay you've never heard that no, analogy i've not heard that analogy you need to read more fantasy no i really don't <laughs> I'm always let down by fantasy. No, you weren't let down by good omens. I'm not reading that. <laughs> <laughs> it is a delicious book, though I don't know it's your specified voice. Exactly. I'm trying to think of like a fantasy novel that I loved. My bookshelf's like right on the opposite side of this wall too, which sucks. I can't see it. I don't know. I, I have loved so many, so many books for so many different reasons. Tamara Pierce's uh, Song of the Lioness yeah, quartet. I did love that series. That That's what made me like actually get into writing a novel. Like I had written, you know, like little short pieces, you know, like most small children as school assignments. But it wasn't until that series that I realized what a book could do. And that was it. You have such a different relationship with art than I do, which I find so interesting. Oh, it's... It's deeper. Like my, when you talk about your relationship with art and its impact on you, I'm like, God, I'm so superficial. Oh, but like art, I guess doesn't impact me the way it impacts you. Mm. But I mean, that could very well be the art that I have consumed. Like I, I do a lot of dystopia. I do a lot of post-apoc. Right. But I mean, this kind of goes back to our conversation about uh, fantasy versus sci-fi earlier where you know you're very external and i'm very Mm -hmm. introspective yeah i mean that could just be our personalities in general (laughs) right (laughs) so i think that art is so much more of a uh, like odd spiritual thing for me (laughs) spiritual in a really in a really strange way like i said i've been watching good omens crack on youtube because i miss my best friend hi hi but my relationship with the world is also very different from yours. So just mm. because they're different doesn't mean that they're not equally impactful. Right. As you clearly have heard in this podcast thus far, um, art isn't just something we do. It isn't something we like see. It is something about who we are and how we interact with the world. So... While we want to try and stay very artistic-based, excuse me, creative-based, while we want to talk about creative topics, creative topics have such a large impact on the world and on us. So it's very difficult to stay focused on creativity when it is interwoven into everything. So there will be times occasionally where we go off topic, and we are sorry for that. We will try to keep most of those in our off-topic podcast, which will be over on our Patreon Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, <laughs> say no more, say no more. <laughs> go check out us on the Shiny Squirrel Patreon. Um, we'll also be on Twitter at Shiny Squirrel Po because Twitter has a cap on how many letters you can have. Thanks, Twitter. If you guys have top like thoughts on these topics, hit us up. We want this to be a conversation, a discussion, not us just talking at you unless that's what you want. That's fine too. We love we love discussing. We want to hear from you guys. We want to hear what you guys want to talk about. And if you liked or didn't like things that we said, award us or take away house points from Gryffindor or Slytherin. If you can't figure out which house we're in at this point, then you seriously need to pay better attention. <laughs> it's very obvious which house we are in.
Shiny Scroll Podcast. I'm Bree. I'm Melanie. And it's chaos here. Well, you if you watched I can't nope. <laughs> <laughs> Abort. <laughs> Abort. <laughs> Abort. <laughs> psych yourself out you're like shit <laughs> back up back up back up abort mission abort mission you can't abort mission just go with it 